Welcome to Life Outside of Sport, where we'll be diving in and exploring what happens once the game is over. My name's Lewis Harrington, PGA golf professional, and I'll be joined, as always, by Dean Hammond, former Premier League footballer and co-founder and creator, Liam DC. Liam, how are you this week? Good. Um, an unbelievable hour. We just spent talking to Mark. Um, Normally, I'm silent because I don't say anything or ask any questions. This was for a completely different reason tonight. Um, no, uh, uh, unbelievable story, an unbelievable journey that he's been on from, what, 15, 16? Um, yeah, amazing. Um, I can't wait for him to get this one out, actually. It's slightly slightly different today. It's had quite an impact, to be fair, the, uh, the conversation. So... Um... Yeah, really looking forward to it. And Dean, we worked that again. You had another one you've played a few games against, um, but you're okay? I'm very well, mate, very well. Like Liam just said, it's a um, very inspiring interview, actually. It's, it's going to be a really, really good listen. Um, someone who's gone through a lot in his life, had to deal with a lot and um, come through it and is recovering very, very well now. Um, has got a good understanding of himself and, and put a lot of tools in place to to help him for the rest of his life so it's an inspiring story i learned a lot of myself it was really really good therapy um for myself and i'll second what liam said there i can't wait this to get for this to get out there because it's a brilliant interview could not agree more um so please do enjoy just as we did um without further ado here is the interview with um mark o'brien If it's okay with you, we'll always try and start. And um, obviously, you've had the, the transition from Ireland across here as well. Um, why? Why football? Why football? What was the what was the starting point for you, mate? For me, like the, the the starting point of it all was, I had like football in the family growing up. Like my cousin, four years older than me, uh, my brother, two years older than me, and they were both playing football and. I ended up like training with one of my brothers, my brother's sides, like when I was really young, only like six, seven. And they wanted to take me onto their team, which was like two, three years older than me. And my dad said, go for your own age. And from there on, I was just trying to follow in their footsteps at the beginning. And I just ended up starting to enjoy it more and more. And the more I stayed in football and the more I could see myself improving and people like taking an interest in me, I, I just loved every minute of it. And, and what age did that take you to, Mark, where it started to become a, a serious idea for you as a, or where did it start to perhaps transition into, I could, I could potentially have a career in this as a sport? Uh, like back in Ireland, like when you're around, I'd say 11, 12 years old, you can get picked for like your county side and every like player in that counties all get picked for their own separate sides and you go play in a tournament and, um, I was lucky enough to play for my Dublin side and I was able to captain the Dublin side. We went on to, to win a cup and stuff like that. And then like you go for the under 14s, 14s is when you're allowed to go out on trial to English clubs, which I was lucky enough. I went on trial um, at Blackburn, Liverpool, Man City and teams like that. And it was then when I started realising it's starting to get a bit serious and I was getting picked for like the young Ireland ages under 14s and 15s. And it was just then that I actually had in my head thinking, like, I want to make a career to this. This is all I ever want. Like, and I just, like, suffocated myself with football and football only. And 
like I say, sometimes making it making it like the obsession that I had it, nothing was getting in my way for me to go to England. Like I, it got to a point where I had to do like me GCSEs, what they are in Ireland, just so I could go away. So I just done the best that I could in them. And once them tests were done, it was like I didn't really care about the results, and I just wanted to get the football and wanted to get to England. And Derby came along, and I was lucky enough to be able to go over there. They offered me a contract and signed there, and uh, from there on, I was just like, "This is this this is all that I ever wanted." That's class, mate. The the um, how, how was the transition then across? So you obviously you you're flicking across with different trials and and obviously spending spending time and then obviously you make that transition across over here which i guess becomes a, a permanent thing do you do that alone is there a few of you that go how was that that movement across um it was all right for me like i've come across like loads of Irish players that like really struggle with it because um when you do move across i was 15 when i came across and your family your friends everybody's left behind and it's you settling into a digs we're all new people and it's basically sink or swim moment from the beginning you fly away because homesickness can come into it for a lot of Irish players because you get used to your home comforts and being able to go out training in the morning and come home and see your friends in the evening. And sometimes I say that's why sometimes if an Irish player can stick it out for the first couple of years, they will make a career of it because I think a lot of the young, a lot of the young lads that, um, like I've come across in new teams like the English lads and a couple like that that go home every weekend and they see their families every single day they have it a lot more easier which then sometimes I've spoken about saying Irish players find the diff- like that bit more difficult because they don't have that support like they don't like English players don't have that understanding what it's like for an Irish player to come over because you do leave everything behind but then like I say the love of football took over for me and because I had that love of football that took over, being away from home never really bothered me. And I'd found me like I'd found my family every second day, and that was fine for me. But once I knew I was there, um, training every single day, I, I could have been halfway around the world, and I would have just been loving and enjoying it. Like that's that's how it felt for me, really. And I loved every minute of it. That's brilliant, mate. And they, obviously, you you you're making that transition. It's all going well, and then obviously you you get dealt the Dealt the hand there, which I, I'd imagine. I mean, if you if you're happy to, mate. How, what was that? Um, what was that that process like? Are you struggling leading up to that that process? Because you was only what six sixteen when? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it it was it was something that was so out of the blue. Like I flew over when I was fifteen, and then halfway through that season, I turned sixteen, and luckily enough, I made my debut by the end of that season as a schoolboy. So, like everything was like. As I seen, it was just like next level, next level, next level. And like I was right where I wanted to be. I played in front of a stadium and I knew this is exactly what I've always wanted. And then I come back in for the season after and um, signed me scholarship properly then. And I had that routine heart scan that you normally get when you sign as a medical thing for flying away and being part of the academy. And they found out that I had like a leak involved, which to me at the time, like I say, being so naive and being like 16 years old, all I asked the doctors were, am I able to play football? So certain specialists said, yeah, you won't need an operation for 40, 50 years. And I thought that's perfect. Like football, I'll be long gone and I'll be able to like continue on. And then as I kept training and we were in the middle of preseason, um, like you wear your heart rate monitors and stuff like that and training. And 
my heart rate was twice as high as everybody else's, but I was doing exactly the same amount of training. So we kind of like sat down with the physio and fitness coach and put two and two together and said, maybe I need to get this checked a bit further. Went to get some MRI scans, found out that the leak was getting a bit more worse and um, it might be another 20, 30 years, but still in the back of my head is thinking 20, 30 years, football's completely finished by then, I'll be fine. And then we followed it up by another specialist who said another 10 years. So when everyone was putting all these like different specialists and all that together, we were realising that the, the margin of 50 years, it's getting lower, lower, lower. Every time I was seeing someone or more scans I was getting, that I got referred to a surgeon. And uh, my family had to fly over. So we were sitting like, in this doctor's room. And as we were sitting in the doctor's room, it was me, the physio, uh, and my man and that and as we were sitting there the surgeon comes in and goes right I went over all the papers and I'll never forget it like it's something that will live with me forever he had a model heart in his hand and said okay your heart is three times the size of what it should be and if you don't have an operation this year you're going to die and today like t- still to this day like that's something that I'll never forget what was ever said to me like and still like I say being 16 and so naive he said, if you go for this operation, like there's there's two options you can have. He said you can get a pigskin valve in, which is like um you might be able to return and play football, or you get a metallic valve in and you have to like stop football for the rest of your life. So straight away I said, All right, I'll have pigskin valve. And then he said, Yeah, but he said, You're not gonna be guaranteed to play football ever again. He said, you know, he said, like you're giving yourself the best opportunity to get back playing, but he said you might only be lucky enough to play with your mates down the park said being a professional takes a whole different level of fitness and to me that slight glimmer of hope when he said there's a possibility but I'm not going to guarantee it because they said to me they had a girl in a year before me who had is who went for the same operation that she was into athletics and her valve gave way in a year and she had to go back in for the metal one and it never worked out so mine was basically we'll give it to you see how it goes and you get a maximum of five years if everything goes well, but that's the best you're going to get. But in my mind, I thought, right, I'm going to give five years of football the best opportunity I can give it because I had the taste of first-team football the season before, I think is what made me make that decision so quick and so easy to just say, right, football is what I want and I don't want any regrets and that's all I want um, to do. So it was um, a tough decision to make. But at the same time, like my family knew what I wanted, but I wasn't aware of like the operation. I just thought it's an operation, go in, get it done. I'll be back out training. And I, like I say, being 16, you're not understanding half the things the doctors are saying to you. So when you're not really understanding it, it goes in your favor just to hear a doctor say, well, maybe you can play. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to play. And that's all I had in my head. And luckily enough, like I look back at it now and say, I got ten. I got a ten-year career out of something that at the beginning they told me I never probably would have played in my life. So, like you say, there's there's good and bad from it all, and it was difficult to take because, like I say, I went from the highs of making a debut the season before to then getting told I might never play again, and it was difficult. But I was lucky enough that Nigel Clough, as a manager at Derby at the time, like gave me a new three and a half year deal to like give that chance of like recovery from the operation. And then obviously with him giving me that chance and then having the people support me along the way, like I, I just gave everything that I could. And like I say, I was lucky enough that Derby gave me that time to get back fit. And 
still to this day, like I always look at it and say to the people at that club, like I owe my life to them because they gave me a career. And I look at it as a career, but they, they saved me life, really. Um, that's, I mean, sorry, Lou, that's, mate, that's an amazing message to, to, to any young footballer coming into the game to, to see or hear that from yourself with the risk of your life to be so dedicated to football. It, it's brilliant, mate. It really, really is. To make that decision is brave. It really is. And it just shows how important and how, you know, having your family around you, having the support of a, of a football club, having that trust in you, I'm sure would have really, really helped you. And like you mentioned, to be able to then help you recover, age your recovery and then make a, a career in football, mate. So look, hats off to you. Fantastic message to, to, the, to anyone that's listening to this thinking, now what does it take to be a professional footballer? There's the biggest message ever. There's the biggest dedication you're ever going to hit. You're actually putting your life online to play a game that you love. So, brilliant, mate. No, that, that, but that's that, that's what I say. Like that, that's how it felt as though it's like because football felt as though it was my life, and that's all I ever wanted to do. I thought, you know what, give myself the best opportunity, and if it's not to work out, I never like for me, I never wanted to look back with any regrets of thinking, well, maybe if I had it eight more right or maybe if I had it trained a little bit harder or maybe if I put in extra hours I would have been able to I always thought in my head you know what I'm going to give this me all and if I know that I gave it me all I can look back at myself and go right it didn't quite work out they were the cards that were dealt to me and you know what I can live the rest of my life knowing at least I gave it a go and I look at it now to say well maybe because I de dedicated myself so hard to it and sacrificed so much for football and kind of consumed myself with it it's what probably gave me those extra five years on top of the five years the hospital said that I was only ever going to maximum get. So I look at it in a positive way to say, well, do you know what? Like To get a 10-year career is something that I look at and say not many people do, whether they have it, like cards dealt to them in a wrong way or not. But at the same time, having the cards that was dealt with me, I never kind of looked at it as people look at me for a pity story. Like I never spoke about it through my whole career because I always just wanted to be treated as an equal to everyone else, not someone that we looked upon to say, oh, well, he's had an injury or he's had a heart problem. Let's like take care of him or we're not going to go near him because he's had a heart problem. We don't know how long that's going to last. I just wanted people to treat me as a footballer. And like I say, I've been lucky enough that I've had people message me since everything that's gone on recently um, saying that they never knew that this was happening and these were managers that signed me at that club. So I looked at that as an achievement for me to say they signed me on the basis of playing football rather than thinking, well, they probably wouldn't have touched me if they hadn't known half of this story. So in 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 so many different aspects, I look back and I like till this day I'll just say I'm proud of everything because I look back with no regrets because I know I gave her everything and, and that's all that I ever asked of myself. And like like I've spoken to like loads of other people along the way now since retiring. And I said, you know what? I said like once you can look yourself in the mirror or look anywhere else and make your family proud, but make yourself proud by just giving everything, then you'll never have a regret. You'll never have a single regret in football. And that's the only thing that I look at now that kind of has helped me through such a time that, that's, gone over, that's gone on over the last couple of months. Absolutely. Honestly, huge, huge respect. It's, um, it's fantastic. And, and, and I, I hope you do share the, that, that story many, many, many times um, because I think that will inspire so many uh, going forward. Mark, if it's, if it's all right, I've got just a question back on you. I just, 
like I find it hard to take myself. I think obviously imagining myself in your shoes, you like you say you get out in the stadium, you're you're flying, and then you're hit. How was was that a quick transition for you to see the positive? Was that a quick transition for you to go? There's a glimmer of hope. I'm straight on it. Or was there a moment where you're, you know, you you hit low low points? You go away and just like, what what what's going to go on here? Or was it was it a real instant switch to that positive? Um, I think there was like there was like there was a small second of like like I've said before, like and I said it to me mom and dad at the time. It was like an out of body experience. Someone telling you you're going to die, but you're looking at it thinking he's not talking to me. Like, he can't be talking to me. I'm over here playing football training every day. This can't be me. And then I come away from the whole kind of discussion with the surgeon because it was such a quick turnaround where I was getting told 10 years' time you need an operation. And then the surgeon sitting next to me looking in his diary and said, okay, I can do it in two weeks' time. So I hadn't really much time to think about or where it was basically make a decision there and then. I knew it's for the rest of my life, but in my mind, I thought I've got something to give the football here. I want to give him my best shot. So straight away, once I heard there was that small glimmer, if you go for this operation, there will be a slight chance of you playing football. Then I said, yeah, I want that one straight away. And he said, no, it might, it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. But I said, if it's the only guarantee I can get to try and give myself a career, I'm taking that option. And then if it fails within a year, I can look back and go, well, at least I've given it, at least I've given it a chance. But now when I look back at like the operations, I look and think, I'm glad I was 16 making that decision because the love of football taken over, whereas I wasn't years down the line, whereas like I was this time, years down the line and you have so much more to think about. The love of football and everything just took over where I said, no, I want to play football, that's it. I didn't think of the severity of an open heart surgery. I didn't think of it as something so massive. But... I'm glad I played it down to an extent of having that love of football that just took it out of my hands to say, I can play football. Okay, this is the one I want. Then I had no time to think about it. I went home to Dublin for two weeks and then flew back over, had the operation. And then in that same season, I had the operation in the October. And then I made the first team bench by the last game of the season um, against Cardiff at home. And I played like two, three U-team games leading up to that. So, Within a full season, like I'd done like a whole like U-turn on everything from getting told you'll probably never play again to then do eight months of probably the hardest thing I've ever gone through to then at the end of that season have a short back on and go, actually, I've made it back. And then it was like, it's all forgotten about, right? Then it's like, that's the beginning of my career now. Like the debut happened, which was, which was amazing. But to me, once I got back in, I was thinking... Now it's time for me to get my feet under the table and start working harder now because I'm back to being an equal. I'm not back to being someone who's just had open heart surgery. And then it just kind of snowballed for there, which which was which was good for me, to be honest. Oh, can I just ask what what are you what are your parents' thoughts and feelings going through this? So you you transition <laughs> away to, to England at 15, you have the news at 16. What 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 role are your parents playing in all of this? Um in all fairness, they were just supporting anything that I that I wanted to do. Like an Irish mom, as they all are, didn't want me to fly away for football in the first place, would want to keep me wrapped up and keep me at home. But she knew that football is all I wanted. But then with this operation, like my mom stayed over for months on end, um, making sure I was okay. Like my dad, like 
when the whole thing was going on, I was on the phone to my dad every single appointment to tell him everything that was going on, to let him know that this is something that has to happen. And when they came over and heard the news, they were just trying to say to me, right, you're going to have this operation. And when you come over, right, you're going to get yourself back. So like they were just feeding me with things that basically I needed to hear, telling me that you are going to be okay. Like a doctor telling me you have a glimmer of hope. They were telling me you are going to be okay. And I'll never forget, it was the first youth team game back from the operation was, I think it was around April time and we played Man United on MUTV. And it's the only time, like, obviously, my family would ever get to see me on telly when I was only, like, 17. So my dad ordered in MUTV so he could watch it. And it was only after, like, a couple of years later, my dad and my mum were telling me that, like, they were nervous to actually watch me because they didn't know if I was going to be the same mark, they didn't know if like something was going to happen to me. They didn't know if I was going to be the person that I am as a defender, like throw yourself in front of a make a tackle in your headers. And my dad said straight away, like the four shot that come in or the force header that I went from, he just sat back and said, right, he's back. He's normal. And then once he seen me win a header, they had no concerns anymore. I think they were more worried about how it would affect me if I didn't come back the same player. How are they going to pick me up and how are they going to make me back to be confident again but then once they seen the progress I was making and once they seen me as a player they just built the confidence back in them to go do you know what our job is done Mark's back to himself now right we'll move on from this and let's kind of like just keep him away from thinking the worst and let's kind of carry on and let him like progress in his career and that's the only way that they kind of helped me through and like I say Derby as a club Clough as a manager never put any pressure on me never never like was as managers can be, when is he back fit? When is he going to play? Like I flew home to Dublin for three months after the operation and he was phoning me every single day, just making sure I was doing the walk and asking me how I am. And like people know themselves, like some managers don't have to do stuff like that because like you say, they're managing a team every single weekend. But he's seen me as someone that made me debut, but he was one of the, one of the loyal managers that like actually cared about your well-being and cared about how your physical being is and how your mental state is and he actually took care of me as as somebody like that and like I say I was lucky enough to have him as the manager at the time or else you don't know where you would have ended up so like I've, I've, I've always said it that if it wasn't for Nigel Clough as a manager I probably would have never had a career because I've, I've come across other people back then and at other times that might have had hard difficulties where a team would just pay them up the rest of the contract and say, right, we're not dealing with this. And they could be out the door. Whereas I had a club that was like a second home to me, basically that looked after me. And once I got back fit, I wanted to repay them every single sweat, every single thing that I had because they stuck by me through a difficult time. So if they give me the opportunity, then I knew there and then that that's a club that I want to give everything for. I know we were talking before <clears throat> briefly, Dean, and you had a, it's probably a good time to 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 ask the, the sort of question that you you'd mentioned, mate, just regarding the um how as you're starting that repair process and obviously you're back into does that take in sort of you taking one year at a time? Sorry, Dean, I'm but I'm I'm doing explaining your question. <laughs> no, but like me and with the, me and the guys are talking before Mark, and I just wondered from obviously being a player myself and um and, and having a career in the game, just wondered if that scenario 
taking the medical side out of it, but that scenario potentially helped you, knowing that every season could potentially be your last, you know, with the doctor saying you've only got five years. You know, I know you had a 10-year career, which is which is amazing. And I think I read, I read up about yourself saying you had to have a scan at the end of every season to see whether you could play the following season. I just wondered if that, that scenario helped you mentally in terms of thinking or how you approach that. Did you approach each season thinking, right, this could be my last season, I'm going to give it everything? Or did it make you go the other way and feel a little bit anxious, a little bit overwhelmed, thinking, well, I don't want to finish my career, my career on a bad season. So I, I, it made you nervous. I, I just re- really interests me how, how you approach that. How did you think every year, right, I'm just going to give it everything, no matter what happens, I'm going to enjoy it, I'm going to do the best I can, I'm going to work hard every day, and whatever happens, brilliant, and then I'll deal with next year, the following season, when that comes. It's similar, like because it, it, it's kind of both of them scenarios all mixed into one, because when I'd come to the end of a, of a good season, or I'd come to an end of a season, it was more the fact of, yeah, Known that each like I never knew what year was going to be my last, so I knew I have to apply myself right. Like I'm at a disadvantage. Like I always see myself as I'm already at a disadvantage to everyone who comes in who has a good bill of health. So sometimes I always had in my own head. So I always put like extra nerves on myself to go out, and I, I always thought if we lose, it comes down to me. If we win, it comes down to me. If I'm a defender, I'm going to have to throw myself in front of it. I'm going to have to defend properly. Like. I put so much pressure on myself before going out to play every single game because I felt as though because it is such a short-lived thing and I never knew when was going to be my last year or when was going to be, like I say, only last season, late in Orient being my last game. I never knew that was going to be my last game. So it's it, it was a mixture of both to kind of say, do you know what, every single year I'm going to give it the best that I can and I'm going to get the best out of my abilities. And the only thing that ever really struck me through my career that got me really down are injuries because I knew I was kind of on, on a time scale. Mm. So if I was like when I done me cruciate and when I had like a microfracture in my knee and all different things like that, they affected me as bad because I thought to myself, right, what happens if this is the last season I played and I've just ruined the boy, my cruciate gone. And then I get myself in a really kind of negative state. And I think, Hang on a second. But then on the flip side of that, because I had open heart surgery and came back from that, having a cruciate injury never felt like anything to me because I thought if I can get back from my heart, I can get back from a cruciate. If I can get back from my heart, I can get back from a hernia, a knee, an ankle and all them different things. So it was a kind of a double-edged sword where the open heart surgery like helped me and motivated me so much to kind of been able to say, I'm going to give it everything. This is driving me through everything. Like, you know what? If I wasn't to play next season, I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered for this season. And if I get next season and the following season, like I never looked that far ahead. So that's why sometimes for me, coming away from the game was hard or I couldn't really prepare for it because I never knew when it was going to be. So my mindset and my focus was I'm going to give every single year me most. And whatever happens after that is out of my control. So, like, every single season was always, like, because I always had all the questions off a lot of people. What are you going to do after football? Like, football is going to, like, finish in your 30s. What are you going to do? But because I was the person that I was, I never brought up my heart problem. I just said, I don't know, but I'm going to just give football me all, and you never know what can happen. 
But in the back of my head, I'm just thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to think a year into the future because I don't know in a year's time I might have to have open heart surgery again or in six months' time I might have to have it. So for me, football was always like a really anxious time, but also at the same time, drove me to probably get to some of the things that I got to do in my career and drove me through some performances that I've gone through and made me the kind of player that I was. The thing, well, you know what, like, if you are to get cut open, if you are to get slight injuries, if you are to get that, nothing's going to stop me because the only thing that can stop me is my heart. And if they're telling me that's fine, nothing else is going to stop me. And that's the only way my mind worked. And I see it as it was a success that it did work out for me because it put me in some great positions through my career that I'll always look back on and glad to have the like the memories of. Dean, is that I mean what you're what you're describing there? Can you can you relate to that as well, Dean? Because there's a few conversations we've had where you've where you've explained like the hunger and desire to obviously. I know perhaps you're not looking at each season you last, but the one the one cross reference I had is when you you had said like you're talking to people who don't know your situation. Um, you, you've sort of kept that to yourself and, and are asking you, you know, what have you thought about what's going to happen? But you had mentioned the same Dean. You hadn't even thought about what, what was going to happen or it hadn't crossed your mind really. It was, I'm focusing on now, you know, it's, I don't know when this is going to end. I'm just going to make the most of it. With that, I know obviously you haven't with the, um, with the health concerns on the side, but it sounds like it's very similar. Yeah, from, it's, it's really interesting when Mark said that because I think from the outside world, it's it's easy to to look in and think, right, footballers or sports people should be preparing for when the game finishes. You should be thinking about what you're going to do. But also when you're playing and you're a professional footballer and you're training every day and you're competing against other athletes, you have to concentrate in that moment. You have to give your whole life to it. So it almost becomes a distraction to think of something else. It's almost been a little bit defeatist thinking, well, I'm going to think about something else now because this is never going to last when you need to stay within that moment. Me looking back on my career now, in hindsight, I wish I had obviously prepared for when the game finished more emotionally, maybe than financially or career wise. I wish I'd looked into something I was really interested in so I could have a kind of direction of where I wanted to go. I didn't mean, I don't mean I could have studied for it and, and spent a lot of time on it. I could really understood myself and think, well, what do I want to go into when I finish playing? How do I potentially make that happen? But when you're in the game, you have to concentrate so much because there's so many players that want to do what you're doing. You know, even within a team, you know, a squad of 20 players, there's only... You know, I was a midfield player. There's two, there's two positions that I can play and I'm competing against four or five people, let alone players that can bring in. You keep going up the levels, players coming from all over the world. It just, you have to be consumed. Mark, man, you have to be consumed by it totally. Yeah. You have to be selfish. You have to prepare yourself. So even though you do have time as a footballer, a lot of time, you don't because you've got to just concentrate on football. So, it's a double-edged sword because you know, I look back at it now when I finished, I wish I'd done a little bit during, more in my career to think about what I was going to do afterwards. But like Mark said, would have I had the career and played the amount of games I did? If I did that, probably not. So I'm not sure if, if that answers your question. Really. It, it does, mate. It does. It's, um, as I say, it's just, just so many similarities. And uh, where, where are you at with that stage now, Mark? Because obviously you've, you were completely unaware that, as you as you mentioned, that the the Leighton Orient game is going to be the last one. Then you've 
you've been through further surgery. Is that that right? Yeah, it was my second open heart surgery now. Yeah, second uh, second open heart surgery, which is obviously another again traumatic experience for you and everyone concerned uh, around. I'm I'm sure. Um, so how's that process been like recovering and, and bringing back to now? How are you? How are you now? And how has the last sort of, I mean, the lockdown period has been slightly yeah. for yourself as well in that? But how has that been? Um, this time around, I think it's a lot more difficult. Like obviously with the pandemic, but then that aside, like when once I had to come to that decision, and I like I I had to go to like it was the very first lockdown, and I started getting like random palpitations in my chest because I have four new pairs of boots still in me uh, still in my wardrobe there that I was getting ready for this season. Like I didn't know any different. So like you say, I ended up getting like really random palpitations in my chest. I went to the club doctor who then got me a heart scan with a specialist down in Cardiff. And the minute I walked in, I was kind of preparing myself for the worst because I just felt as though something's not right. Like I wasn't able to do certain things. I was getting more breathless. And then he told me, uh, your valve is leaking again. And once I heard them words, I knew exactly that retirement is next because I'm not going to, I wasn't going to mess around this time because I, I was well aware of everything that's gone on like previous to that and I know the next step was going to be the mechanical valve to, to which I have in now and I know that you're on blood thinners for the rest of your life and I know that's like the end game and that's something you can't play with so it was difficult to take because as much as I've known for the last 10 years there was always going to be a year like that like you say you, you just never know how you're going to react or how you're going to be like and even even I could have been the most prepared person but the minute someone tells you you can't do the sport you love or the job you love ever again, it affects you so, so bad. And because now that I'm like nine, nine and a half months down the line from the operation, like I'm gaining small bits of fitness back and like I'm doing like a bit of commentary for the eye follow that they have going on now. I, I um, do a couple of interviews and stuff like that for media wise. Um, I've done a couple of Zoom calls like with a couple of youth teams like at Derby and one or two other places back home in Ireland. But like I say, it's it's something where I'm just kind of feeling out different options to what I might enjoy or what way I want to go down. And I'm just gaining experience from different things of speaking to see what people are actually gaining from it. Because like I say, I only have like this kind of thing to speak about or I have football to talk about. But again... I look back and think, well, maybe if I had like the odd skill that I would have known away from football, then this wouldn't have felt as difficult. But then, like you say, Dean was saying, if I had have took my mind away from football at any certain time, to me as a professional, I would have felt as though I'm not concentrating on the next game coming up as much as I should. I'm not like fully focused on the task ahead. And that's and that's kind of like the kind of rock and a hard place you get stuck in between. And for me now, I'm just kind of gaining experiences off loads of different things and gaining on people's reactions to see what they think of it or how I come across on certain things or if my story or my career might help other people along the way or even away from football in itself, like mental health issues towards the recovery of the pandemic and having to go through open heart surgery twice in your life and like being able to be to an extent, a success story for people that don't really have the platform that I have gained over my last couple of years to kind of 
it was only when I actually spoke out about saying that, like, since the heart operation, I have had panic attacks due to, like, not having a routine because of football anymore. Like, I have had panic attacks due to thinking I've had COVID because of my open heart surgery. I've had, I've had like, anxiety built up now. Like, I, I've had so much happen to me that football used to be my get-out clause. Football used to be, if I had anxiety, it was because I had a big game coming up. Football used to be, if I go out and play 90 minutes, whatever was on my mind before then is forgotten about now. But now I'm kind of learning how to deal with the day-to-day struggles that I probably was going through before from the previous surgery, but I don't have football as a get-out clause anymore. So now me speaking out about it and doing these kind of things, I seem to be getting a lot of people to write to me on Instagram or Twitter and places like that saying to me, oh, well, I had my open heart surgery 25 years ago and I'm doing really well. Just keep going the way you're doing. I have other people messaging me saying, I got told I need open heart surgery. Um, What's the process that I have to go through? Like, how do you feel since uh, I have put people asking me about blood thinners and metallic valves? And all along the way, it's like, sometimes as I'm still recovering, I like I found it difficult at the beginning to speak about because I was still coming to terms with it. But I think now the more that I have spoken about it, and like I say, I'm not ashamed to turn around and say to people, like, you know what, I have struggled a lot. Like, I, I have a counselling session once a week to talk about my day-to-day life, to talk about, like, how it, how is life after football? Because the only thing I ever relate everything back to is my life is football. And a lot of people look at me and say, that can't be your whole life. Surely you have something else. And I said, that's all that I feel in myself is that I've got to give back to is football. So if someone wants to sit, talk to me about tactics, someone wants to talk about certain players, somebody wants to do certain things. Yeah, my eyes light up and that's exactly where I want to be. So now when I'm having that platform to kind of open my eyes to go, there's so much more to football now where there's mental health groups, there's British Heart Foundations, there's all these other people speaking to me along the way now. And I see him as though me speaking about my experiences or even the training that I've been doing recently is getting so much more response off people like saying, you know what, keep yourself going. This is amazing to see. Like, oh, yeah, I'm somebody who struggles sometimes and me getting to see you doing so well is helping me. And even if it's helping one person along the way, I'm, I'm using my platform that I feel as though like I've achieved along the way. And it's not as big as like loads of people can be nowadays. But if I'm able to make some sort of help along the way as helping myself, it gives me that purpose again to what I've lost with football. Because with football, you feel as though that's your purpose. That's your get out. That's what you're over here to do. And now that when I first lost that, I didn't know what I'm going to do with myself. I felt as though, do I go home to Ireland? Do I just pack it all in and be that fella that goes to the local pub and say, that used to be me and talk to someone on the bar? Like, that's something that I never wanted because I feel as though there's so much more in me that, right, now that I can't be to do it on a 90-minute game, right, can I give it to being able to speak to kids? Can I be able to do it if I'm involved with a forced team? Can I be over here with the context that I've made to be able to go and express myself so much more and help other people? So, like, I have that kind of bit of fire back in me now that I lost for so many months. And like like I've said it to loads of people, if I wasn't on blood thinners, like, and I know a lot of people who come out of football, you find that you think to yourself, you know what, I can eat what I want now and I can drink what I want and I can do whatever I want. But then to me, I know for a fact, that would have just been a downward spiral of so many 
worse things to be getting dealt with and getting myself into situations that you never want to get yourself into that I felt as though, you know what, I've had the right people around me. Newport as a club have stuck by me through everything. Like I'm still like I still had a year left in my deal and the club still let me go in and be around the lads and be part of the whole atmosphere of everything in the in the whole kind of build up to what they're doing this season. That I still feel part of it and I still feel as though I'm one of the lads. And it does kill me to watch them play every week. And it still does kill me to watch them like when you see them win a game and you see them celebrate after, you miss that feeling because you know exactly what it's like to win a game of football. And you're thinking, do you know what? I'd love to be waking up one morning and go, it was great having that win yesterday and be part of it. But at the same time, now I see myself as somebody who, if there are one or two young lads or a couple of new lads that come in, I'll sit and speak with them and I'll say, do you know what? You're doing really well. Or what do you think about this? Or there's certain lads in the club that still kind of respect my opinion. And I I, I find myself voicing my opinion a bit more now. So as the confidence come back from an operation that knocks you, everything out of you, I find myself kind of grown that bit more now. And like I say, it, it's it's been a steady and it's been a long road. And this one's been a lot more difficult because I'm not a 16-year-old kid anymore. I understand everything that's going on. And as well as that, in the middle of a pandemic. So it has been a lot more mentally, like mentally worse this time than I could have ever imagined. But at the same time, I can start seeing light at the end of the tunnel. But that was due to having a lot of people around me and helping me through through these times. Wow. Honestly, honestly, um, huge, huge admiration. Um, appreciate the honesty and that, and and even from a from from this point of view. And I know when Liam first had the idea to 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 do this, you know what we're, what we're doing now. Mm. I, I know as you're speaking how he will be feeling about this because that basically what is the whole idea of that, that if someone can now listen to this and I know Dean had mentioned before, it will definitely, um, if it's okay with you and, and, and Andrea, we'll get you, you, you guys um, connected as well and, um, and assist in, in any way we can. Um, but, that, that's right, Liam. Would you say? I mean, that's everything we've, we've in a in a in an extreme situation. In fairness, I don't think we anticipated to um, to to do, you know, to to give this message that quickly. So huge admiration oh. from a personal level. Keep doing what you're doing, mate. We'll come back to that in a sec. Hundred percent. This was exactly what what this was all about. And I'm going through my head, going, I can put Mark in touch with this person, this person to tell that story further. A lot of the conversations I had when this all was an idea was to tell stories like this and then from here take that further. I know plenty of people in the charity sector within that world that would snap your hands off to hear that story. They'd sit as quiet as we have for the last 45 minutes and just listening. <laughs> um, I also know a lot of people in the, in the media world that all open those doors for you to tell that story to it on a, on a wider scale. Um, so I'll, I'll, definitely be in touch with some contacts and I'm sure Dean and Louis will as well. So yeah, um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's, um, I'll, I'll second that third that I just, I think like you, you, you said it's, it's interesting you say, you feel as though it's taking you a long time, nine and a half months to get to this point. It's taken me four and a half years, mate. So you are yeah. miles ahead. I think you need to give yourself some credit, um, for how well you've reacted from this. I totally agree with you. I think Louis will agree with this and Liam will. It is all about finding your purpose again. 
And that purpose comes from trying things. So you're already in that process. And you mentioned there that the only thing you know is football and it's got to be football. And it has, but there's so many life lessons in football. And you can give back now through football. It doesn't have to be about football. Yeah. It can be through football because them experiences you have in football are life lessons. And you can give that. The message you spoke there, I mean, like Liam said, we just sat there in silence, mate. It's, it's brilliant to hear how you're speaking so composed, so natural about it is unbelievable from from what you you've been through is you know full credit to yourself mate and you've come so far in nine months mate i mean nine months into me retiring i was all over the place i was a, a drunken mess so you know and i'd all all that all that had happened to me is i'd finished the game you know it's nothing compared to what you've gone through so um full credit mate and you, you've come a long way so you've got so much to give back so i wouldn't wouldn't worry about that or what you're going to do in your purpose. You stay within football, but the, the the industry of football now is so big. It's not just within the game. You could give so much to back to, to so many people. So, it, yeah, brilliant message, mate. It really is. Look, I say, that, that's something that like, I kind of, I'm only starting to understand now because, as you say, once you come out of the game, you think, right, they don't need me on a Saturday anymore. Like Because I see myself as someone who was, I was able to captain Newport and I was like kind of one of the figureheads in the changing room. And you come away from that and you go, you go in your shell thinking, I can't speak to the lads now because they're the ones playing. I have, I'm not playing. I'm not out there putting, putting the work in with them. And then, like I say, your confidence goes from this operation. Like you feel as though, right, I'm not noticed or nobody cares anymore. Like you're away from football. Like everyone only wants to hear and now they're not going to remember you. And like I, I, it's, it's it's the only thing that kind of fell for me is that, and I've only come to terms with all of this due to being able to speak to a counsellor. Like I was, I was working my own anxiety up trying to figure all of this out by myself, and like obviously with friends and family and people like that around you, you try and think to yourself, like they try and tell you everything that you want to hear, but me sitting down with a counsellor and actually saying this is how I feel, and then I was putting down to the counsellor saying, but. For me to feel normal, I have to get fit again. But for me to get fit again, I have to like do all this walking. But I can't even be bothered getting out of bed. And I and the the one thing like the cardiac rehab and the council was saying to me is that without me realizing, because I never ever felt it before, is that they said you 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 like you had to slipping into depression. And to me, I never knew what depression was, and I could never sit there and agree with them or disagree because I was like, I I don't feel as though I'm sad. Although, like, do you, do you look after your appearance much anymore? And I goes, no, not really, because there's a pandemic going on. He said, no, besides that, do you get out of bed many times or would you rather stay in bed? And I'd say, in all fairness, like, I've got nothing to get out of bed for anymore. And plus, I like, to me, I was making the excuse of it's my heart problem. It's my heart problem. Everything's my heart. But I never took into consideration the impact leaving football or whatever have on me. Because the heart operation takes it away from yourself because it is what it is. You had open heart surgery, you're going to feel drained, you're going to lose weight, you're going to lose all your fitness, you're going to lose everything. But I was able to kind of come to terms with that a lot more. And they they were the things that I now just take step by step, month after month. It's just like you'll see progression without even realizing it's happening. And that doesn't go without saying, like, I've, I've been lucky enough to have Newport and the physio and the doctor who are looking after me when I'm doing all the fitness stuff, which has helped me like a million and one times over. But coming away from football, 
that was probably the biggest part of it all that at least when I was 16 I had a purpose that I had a glimmer to play football again so that took me hot like that consumed me and I said right my fitness that I'm doing now or that I was doing at 16 was to play football but the fitness that I do now is for the rest of my life so I so it felt as though I was picking and choosing when I wanted to get fit or when I don't want to get fit I don't want to grow better I do want to grow better I'll go walking tomorrow I'll leave it today and I was finding myself just in this downward spiral where I thought this has never been me and I was seeing everything in a negative way and like I say sometimes like I, I've only ever kind of spoke about this like lo- like locally to one or two of the lads or I spoke to it with family and stuff like that or even my counsellor but I've never really kind of said it that it's it's hard sometimes that when you want people to relate to you over so many different things I've I've been able to sit there and speak to someone who's retired from football but then in my head I'm saying but you never had open heart surgery but then I'll sit someone who had open heart surgery and say but you've never retired from football so you haven't got a clue what's going on and that's the kind of self-pity I was having on myself that I was never that person so I could see it for myself hang on a second I need to snap out of this it's not about oh well look what's that happening to me and at the time people were saying but it's all well and good like you're, you're allowed to feel that way but to me I wasn't because I've never been that person so I was kind of like struggling to find out why am I feeling so low but then I kind of came to terms with you know what like everyone are going through certain things, whether it is just retiring, whether it is open heart surgery, whether it is having been down because of an injury. I've come to terms with it saying like everyone's fighting their own battles and everyone's fighting their own things. And it's only until like me as a, me as me would turn around and like sometimes to myself would be sitting there going, why did this have to happen to me? I have loads of mates in football. Why did I have to be the one that this happens to? But then I, you get a reality check when I have to go to Glenfield Hospital for a checkup and I see thousands of other people with scars down the middle of their chest going through the exact same thing. So it makes your eyes open wide to go, hang on, this isn't just me. Like, yeah, I'm I'm probably one of the lucky ones that they've out there helping and surviving or they're out there like coming across and finding. So then you come back to reality a bit. And I think it's just been, like I say, one of them processes that, the counsellor has made everything feel normal to not feel okay, but to kind of work my work me mind in ways to start thinking of the bigger picture and the more positive things and not just thinking, well, do you know what? Like my first sentence to her was, like, I got told off two hospitals at two times in my life. I'm close to dying. I've been close to death twice. So how do I get over that? And they were my first things ever to say to her. And she said, yeah, but then look at it now to say, right, you've survived that twice. You had this happen to you. You had this go well for you. And I say, yeah, but I could have had longer in my career. Like I was always questioning it with a negative thing. Whereas now I look at it and I say, well, you know what? I look at it in a positive way to go, well, I did have a 10-year career. And you know what? I did survive two open heart surgeries. And I am still walking around. And you know what? I did do a five-kilometer walk and jog there the other day. Everything is getting better. And I am finding myself getting a lot better and speaking a lot more freely but that doesn't come from me that came from people pushing me in them directions so like it is a massive thing to have the right people around you that are going to guide you because like I say if if I had been here by myself and this all happened then Newport turned around and said right we'll pay you up the rest of the year uh, the rest of your contract we're not dealing with you anymore 
then I would have been probably not even on this call right now. Because like I only said a couple of months ago, I was forcing myself into situations that were so out of my control. I was doing radios, I was doing interviews, and over all the time, I was not actually getting over the problems. I was just basically doing my football done and making me forget about them. But then when I have all the time not going into training and playing 90 minutes, they were all coming back, but they were coming back like stronger and harder. And I was breaking down and I got rushed to hospital another time thinking my valve was, wasn't right, but it turns out it was a panic attack. But I was sitting there questioning six, seven doctors telling me you're okay. Because inside I wasn't feeling okay. I was thinking, but why is my heart beating so fast? Why am I shaking? And why is all this happening? And they would turn around to me and say, well, it's a panic attack. Have you tried breathing? And I said, but this is all happening for no reason. So then I'd go speak with the counsellor and then the counsellor was like, well, you know what? You've got PTSD. And I was like, what's that? Like, I've never heard of that before. And then she said, right, well, you've had open heart surgery. She said, you're downplaying it. And she said, to her, what alarming was that I was downplaying something that is so extreme in another person's life because it's been normal for me. She said, you've normalised the extreme. So she said to me, I could sit there and talk to her and say, yeah, well, I had tubes coming out of my stomach and I had a ventilator down my throat and I had another camera here and I had tubes coming out of there. And she said, well, you're speaking about that so freely, but you can't talk about going to have a shower and stand up for 10 minutes because you feel as though you're going to faint. But you can talk to me saying you had open heart surgery and it's like it's something that happens every single day. And I said, but that's just the way I've been. That's the way I was programmed since I was 16 to know that this is my life. There's nothing I can do about it. But now... It's like, now that I'm on the other side of it, I can kind of sit back and go, well, do you know what? I am right for feeling down. I am right for feeling a bit sorry for myself because do you know what? I'd be, I'd be strange if I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. I've just come out of a game that I absolutely love. I've had open heart surgery that some people never go through in a lifetime. But do you know what? I'm still here to tell the story and that's something that I feed off a lot more now. And that's the part that's driving me on a bit more now when I start seeing the progression and I start seeing the how everyone else speaks to me and I start seeing how other people respond to, as people call it, my story. But I speak about it so openly and so freely because it's, it's all I've ever known. It's the life I've lived. So when people turn around and say, that's an amazing story for you to speak, I just, I just tell everybody, well, I'm not making any of this up. Like none of this is fabricated. I'm just saying the life I've lived. And if it's helping other people, well then brilliant. I'll sit and speak to anyone who, who wants who wants to speak to me because it's like I don't try and I don't try and like make it easy or I don't try and make it seem as though like it's it's the easiest thing to go through. Like I tell people as it is, like I've I've been through some horrible times since this operation. I've been through times where I've just thought I'm packing everything up and going home to Dublin. I've thought about I'm never going to leave this apartment. I've thought about, do you know what? I can't speak to anyone. I've thought about not have, like turning my phone off. I've thought about just getting rid of everything and not making contact with nobody. But luckily enough, I've had the people in my life that have pushed me into situations that have made me feel uncomfortable, like going to football games now and have giving me that distraction again, but then also coming in contact with the likes of ourselves and other people along the way that have slowly making me feel as though there's a purpose of things again. And now that you can start seeing that the it's like the snowball effect that everything is getting that bit better and it's grown and grown, 
like there are times still where I know that it's not going to be all rosy and there are going to be some difficult times, but they're not going to affect me as much now because I feel as though that purpose is back again and I feel as though I've got a message to give to people and I've got I've got enough that has happened to me to be able to help people in whatever way, shape or form. And like Dean said, not just through football, but just through life in, in itself because I've, I remember it was only in the hospital I was speaking to a 65-year-old man who was going in for his first open heart surgery and he was sitting there with me and he was like, oh, you're too young to be in here. And I said, oh, this is the second time I'm here. And he goes, what did you have? And then I was explaining it. And he was like, that's what I'm going in for this time. How did it make you feel? How was this? How was that? And I said, well, I got back playing football. And he was like, you know what? I'm so glad I met you. And that was one person. And that's a 65-year-old man. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If me speaking about what I went through has helped him go into his open heart surgery with a bit more of a relaxed feeling and he comes out of it, there's thousands of people around the world, millions of people that, you know what, if my experience has helped someone else along the way, then that's my purpose now, away from football. And that's my new vocation to be able to go towards and say, well, do you know what, I'm there for anyone needing to speak to people. And like, and, and that's, the, that's, that's the way that I've kind of refocused my mind to it. And it still is difficult sometimes. I do find it hard sometimes talking about it all. But at the same time, I know, I have to be as honest and as brutally honest as it is because me being as honest, if I was to make it seem as though it's all fairy tale and it's brilliant, the people who actually are suffering who don't speak about it, listen to it and go, hang on, it's not that easy. Why is he saying that he's done this? If I, if I tell them the God's honest truth about it all, I know that that's going to affect and help more people saying it as it is rather than thinking it's, it's something that's going to be this, this like fairy tale that, it's actually not. It, it, it's it's the truth, and it's and, and it's hard. But there is like there is a there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's one thing that I know I can actually say from experience, rather than just saying that from reading a book or asking someone. I I can actually say it from experience, which I think helps a lot more people rather than someone who can just tell them from reading it through a book. Get used to it, Mark. I'm I'm about twenty minutes away from Glenfield, so I'm going to get you a corner office. We'll get you a corner <laughs> office at Glenfield. You can tell that story all day. <laughs> I think. I think on a on a personal level, even the, the few bits you 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 spoke about there. I mean, I I suffered with depression myself for just over eleven years and went through awful moments, very similar to what you're saying there, which you you sort of put to one side and I smothered it with drink um, to to get me out of them situations. And it wasn't until I then stopped drinking that that sort of all came to the forefront and I was able to um, create a little bit of awareness as to why I was feeling as I did, the things I was doing. The thing I have huge respect for, don't underestimate, is the almost the patience that you've had in yourself um, to, to create that awareness that you are feeling different, that you are um, not acting and behaving as you were before um so that's that in itself is a is a huge skill the question i have out of that is the mentality you have there when things are not going so well you're you feel yourself dipping did you have the same mentality when playing football so you're going to run a games where it's not going well you know you're captain of the team did you have that same mentality to be able to 
um, you know, pull people together to, to, to do that? Or, or was that different? Did you have the awareness to go, look, we're feeling like shit here, you know, it's, it's a bad run of games, but we're going to get it back. Was that? Yeah, I, like, I do think me as a player, I was always someone that, you know what, I felt as though I was able to be a presence on a pitch or I was able to be a voice. So when things aren't quite going well or when things don't go quite well, I was someone that in training, if someone wasn't pulling their weight like they should be or if things looked a bit sloppier than they should be, I was someone that would speak up about it and I would be someone to say, hang on a second, pull your finger out. You need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. You took in here. And like you say, be be why the manager made you captain. Now, I was never as vocal off the pitch. Like I was always joking and laughing and that's all it was in the changing rooms and there are moments that like you, you never forget. But on a pitch, because I always put so much pressure on myself, I felt as though that pressure made me a better player. Knowing that I was the leader to go out there with, as the captain's armband, knowing that I was the person that had to pull people together, that was my mentality to be that person to say, hang on a second, you're not like doing the job. You're supposed to, I'm going to fire a rocket up you. I'm going to make sure you're doing this. I'm going to organise this in front of me. And then I'd feel as though I'm doing my job. And then if I get a re- reaction out of certain people, then I'm dragging them through. And I was lucky enough to play in the team here and here as well that we had nearly eight or nine players like that all in the one team. So we kind of dragged ourselves through it. So I was able to be part of it. So like, it, I felt as though it was easier doing it in a football capacity because I was in my comfort zone. I knew what I was talking about. I knew what it was. And that was me. That, Like you say, to an extent, that was my alter ego. On the pitch, I was this person that people like, you get so angry because like, I was never really that angry away from football. So when I was in football, people are like, you're like a different person on there. And I was like, it's my job. I want to get the best out of my job. And if someone else isn't doing their job, that's going to affect my job. So I have to make sure they're doing theirs. So I found it a lot harder. And I'll say it to this day. I had to do an interview for ITV Wales after the operation. And it was the first time I've ever spoke about being me. It was never about what game is coming up this weekend. It was never about what do you think of these fixtures are. You've got a big FA Cup game. It was actually me sitting there to talk about me panic attacks and talk about life after football and to talk about me personally. And that is probably one of the most difficult interviews I've ever done because I've never sat and spoke about me. So it was only until you have someone tell you you're in a slump. Like a lot of people, like from because I had a mixture of the both, I could never like tell the difference between two. Like, was it I was down because of retiring from football or was I just physically drained because of the operation? So I never was able to tell the difference between either of the two. So, like, I'd have two, three doctors tell me, your, your valve is fine, everything's going great. Then I'd still be getting, like, palpitations or anxiety or I'd start, my body would go into shakes and everything. And I'd think, my valve can't be all right because why is this happening? So then that would drain me a bit more. And then for four or five days after that, like my whole body from head to toe would feel so tired, I wouldn't want to get out of bed. And that in itself was me thinking it's the heart surgery. But then if you have three, four doctors tell you your heart's fine, I was disagreeing with three or four doctors and I was thinking, why am I trying to look for a fight with everybody just to tell me what I want to hear rather than accept something that, you know what, it probably is anxiety and it probably is mental and it probably is you are in a depression because... Like I said, that like like I said before, all I was never someone for 
feeling down or feeling sorry for myself because I was always the person, as I said, from 16 that never wanted to be that feel sorry for yourself person or have pity on me. I had open heart surgery. So when I was actually feeling this way, I was thinking it has to be the operation. Like it is what it is. I've lost loads of weight. It's probably just because I'm not fit anymore. And it was like the very first counseling session that I had when she told me that you're in, so you're in a depression and it's more to do with your football, basically of retiring, like, because you're, you're trying to think everything is, everything is physical because you're so used to your heart not being right. You're just focused on thinking everything is about your heart. Nothing is actually going on mentally. As you said, you're mentally scared from so many things that have happened in your life. In your life. And I never chose to believe it because I was sitting there thinking to myself, nah, I, was, I dealt with all that in the past. That's all forgotten about. This is something new. So then we sat and spoke about so many different things. And that, that, in that moment itself, and that was only because I got referred to do counselling. To me, I never wanted to do it. But our club doctor here and our physio said to me, Mark, your heart is fine. But how your head is right now, this isn't normal. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't know what's wrong with So then they gave me a number and said, I think you should phone this and see see like what you what you think of it. So came back home and I found it straight away. And I thought to myself, like, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody gonna tell me that it's your physical well being, and I'll sit there and say, Yeah, I already know that I had open heart surgery. But then when I sat and spoke about it, I came to terms with thinking football masked over so much in my life that it gave me that distraction I never knew I needed and now that you don't have that distraction I was kind of everything was like a volcano from whatever I was hiding away was all just erupting and making me feel as bad as I did feel like making me not want to like move not want to go anywhere near but football not wanting to get out of my apartment not wanting to go anywhere so when I actually sat and spoke with her, I was able to kind of come to terms with saying, well, for most of my life, or since my operation moving away, I have been a very over-anxious person. And I always said, that's because I put pressure on myself for football. And she said, no. She said, have you ever had thoughts away from football for your heart operation? I said, only sometimes. But I said, I'd have a game the next day and then it's all forgotten. She said, well, there's step one. There's something masking over it. And to me, I looked at that and just thought, well, I went out and played a match, that's all. And then sometimes, like Dean said, maybe I did focus so much on football because I was trying to forget everything that was happening personally. So, like football, I, I always say over and over again, was such a get-out clause for me that now I was so glad that the physio referred me to a counsellor that I am more open-minded about, you know what, I am going through this and... I am phys- like I am physically fine as in my heart is fine. And that was the only thing I was ever concerned about. Now I'm actually torn around to say, well, you know what? Yeah, I have had these thoughts. And so when I do have any certain thoughts, I've got someone there who I open to, who I speak to openly, someone who knows me from the beginning of this whole process, that I actually feel comfortable doing it. And like I say, I can be comfortable and open and speaking to you about it now. But if you had spoken to me five months ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to do this call because I'd be sitting here shaking and not knowing how to speak and not knowing what to say because I'm still trying to figure it all out in my mind. And I'm still not the finished article of it all, but I'm a lot more understanding 
of everything that has happened to me so far. And I know you say that I had a lot of patience with myself to figure out about going through this, but to me, I felt as though my patience was so like was so thin through all of this. Like I've I was trying to rush myself through fitness. I was trying to go straight back into jogging. I was trying to go straight back into doing a gym work. I was trying to go straight back into everything. I tried to throw myself straight back into going into training. Tried to throw myself going into do commentaries and do everything all at once. And then I just absolutely hit ground zero. So I stopped doing everything and I stopped even going into training because I just thought I can't do this anymore. Like it's either football that's draining me because I'm seeing it every single day or it's me physical well-being or something's not right. And then it's only until I actually speak with the counsellor once a week now that I'm a bit more like on a level keel. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I still have some sort of health anxiety where if I feel little aches and pains and everything, like I think of the absolute worst. But then it's now I've got the counselling side of things that actually brings me back down a level to say not everything is physical. Not everything is. Sometimes you have to take a step back to say, right, did I do something yesterday that has fatigued me today, but I'm only getting the effects of it now, rather than thinking it was only literally the other day. I felt as though I was losing all the power in my hands. Just straight away, my whole body goes into shock mode, thinking I'm something wrong with me. But I only went to a driving range the day before. So <laughs> I wasn't able to like figure that out in my mind. But it was only until I sit down with the counsellor and say, my hands. And then she goes, what did you do during the week? I said, well, I only went to a driving range. And she said, right, what do you do in a driving range? And then it's only when, you can, when I can start understanding it, I go, oh, yeah. So then the anxiety drops out of me. So now everything that I'm building up, I can get more of an understanding there. And I know it's a long process. And like I say, I'm not the finished article of it, but I'm so much better off from speaking out and from actually getting the help and from not bottling up anymore and not having, not having football as a disguise and not having football as a distraction. Because all I had at the beginning of this was people saying, you need to stay busy. You need to keep distracted. You need to keep your mind focused. But what my mind needed was just to speak and get everything out and understand it rather than stay distracted. Because like the, the counsellor said to me is that if I was to stay distracted for the rest of my life, this could happen 10 years down the line and I'd be sitting figuring, why is this happening? Like, I'm better off coming face to face with things now. And yeah, it is difficult and yeah, it is hard. And sometimes it brings back memories that you think to yourself, I, I thought I forgot about that. But at the same time, it helps you move on a lot easier and in, in, in a sense, to be able to look back at certain things now, and I know it's only nine months, but to be able to look at back things now, I wish I started counselling the minute I came out of hospital because I think if it's at the t- if I'm if I'm this much better off nine months down the line, if I had started it straight away, then I probably could have been even better now. So like, there's always a different learning curve, but I I had to choose a journey which I felt is right for me at the time. And it's been a whole learning curve for me along the way. And I still, I still am learning so many different things. But I know from speaking out and actually being able to understand so much more rather than, like I say, have everyone tell me to distract myself and go into football, do this, do the commentary. It'll distract you from this. Make sure you have your laptop at home and do a, do a school course, do something that's going to interest you. But all the time, all I ever needed was to someone to sit down and just make me understand what is happening to me because I could distract myself for days on end, but I'd still be always wondering what's going on. And now that I took that time out to do that, I feel as though I'm progressing a lot better than what I would have if I had to just stay distracted for nine months. 
There's so much in so much again, um, Mark. That it's just in it. I mean, I can I can personally relate to so much. I know Dean will have relate to all sorts out of that of you know the the distraction side of things and the advice you get of distraction, which is no fault of anyone else's. They literally just think that that's the the way through it. But in my own transition, I think I think the only the only way out is through, you know, you have to, and if we'd, if I'd have sat there as the, as the, 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 the coach of your, of your football teams, you know, it would have been easy for, for, for people to, to comprehend that, you know, we've got to do more of this. We've got to do that when it comes to yourself and the, um, the understanding that you, you know, you've got to sit in these emotions and be okay with it and feel all of it is, is like no chance. There's no way I'm, I'm sitting in that. Give me something else to do. And, and there, hence the, the reach towards drink for some, drugs to others, you know. And at the end of the day, the, what, the adrenaline and the movements you have in the, the goal for me and, and the football uh, for Dean was, is a release. It's a, it's a huge movement, huge distraction. So um, the, the process, I'm, I'm so pleased that the club have advised. And then secondly, I'm so pleased that you've had the balls to, to, to make that first phone call because I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And I went through that yeah. and I put the phone up and put it down and, um, and and I had the phone call and then they rearranged an appointment the next week and I didn't want to show for that either. Uh, so I didn't bother with that. And you just think I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll crack on. So, um, so, so much. You, it's, it's, it's class, mate. And as I said, I genuinely, I genuinely feel as you're speaking that this is the, the, the rebirth, if you like, of a, of a new purpose for you and the fact that you're, you know, going about it in in the way that I think, in hindsight, we'd advise personally anyone going through sort of that transition that, that I went through is to have that pause, you know, try things. Don't don't be don't be hesitating in in what you what you try, and then come away and then make your decisions based on how you feel towards that. But so much in that, guys, isn't there, Dean? Yeah, I mean, the biggest message I get out of that is is the fact that. Um, that Mark mentioned speaking to people, you know, opening up. It's, it's, it's difficult as a sports person because it's, it's one thing you're probably taught not to do, to, to show some weakness, to show some vulnerability, to show some honesty. You're not encouraged to do that in a, in a football environment. Um, but then, you know, it was the biggest thing I did. You know, I, I, I probably went three years of, of hiding away from people, running away from people, not wanting to explain what I was doing in my life, not explaining how I was feeling. And that was everyone, you know, wife, children, mum and dad, didn't speak to anyone, friends. Yeah, it was okay, put my mask on, got on with life. Um, but until, you know, probably meeting you guys, meeting a couple of other people that I speak to, it's been life-changing to open up and and to just talk and see how you're feeling and, and, and speaking to people that are in similar situations and listening to their experiences and you can relate to them and reflect off them and, and learn from them has been life-changing for me. And I think, like Mark, you've said there that, you know, talking to people, you didn't want to do it. You didn't want to speak to the counsellor. No. People say, well, why do I need to do that? But you, mm -hmm. you speaking to someone and being able to speak to someone neutral is really important. Someone you feel is not, not going to judge you. It's just going to listen to you and give you a little bit of feedback and reasoning to why things are happened. It's huge. And I think it's one thing that we all need to try and help and promote and make people aware of that sports people need to speak to people. 
whether it's during your career, after your career, before your career, any time, speak to people. It's not a weakness. It's not a vulnerability. It can help you understand. It really, really can. So, again, another great message, mate, that, that you're delivering there is to, to open up and speak to people even when you don't want to. But you've mentioned there it's helped you massively. Top draw. Superb. Brilliant. Absolutely superb. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Honestly, and, and, and I no don't know this, this won't be, you know, all, all of us are here, mate. Part of what what the um, Liam will just just uh, explain, but part of what we, we want to try and do is allow that, um, you know, anyone else that, that listens to this podcast, that anyone else that follows yourself, you know, you're uh, happily documenting a few bits on social media on, did you say, on Instagram and Twitter and things and um, uh, yourself. Is it, are you at that, that sort of stage with that? Is that something you want to do? Not so much. Um, like where, where I'm at with loads of things like it's, it's I had a lot of people saying like I should have documented it from stage one of getting out of the operation and everything but like I say to me I, I was never really one for like mad being over social media I'd, draw, I'd throw up the old like um, like football picture if there was a win and all stuff like that but I was never really that into it but it was only until that first interview of ITV of actually that made me really nervous of speaking about me and my troubles and just me as a person of how my life has actually been in football to then see the response has actually encouraged me more to like, like I say, put up if I, if I do a run on one day and say how well the run went, like thank people who like who have helped me along the way, like every single time I can um, like write up things about football. And like I say, write about like our, post about stuff that I've done and chats that I've done and all different things like that just so if one or two people do turn around to click on it and 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 hear what, what's been going on or who's this fella and what's this that's happening like you say if, if if it does help that one or two people then I sit and just say well if me speaking about my day-to-day life or me speaking about my progress and how I'm able to push myself even if somebody who isn't even going through heart problems or football issues, but just want to go out and find a heart to get outside the door, look at my post and say, well, he's just done 5K and look, he's just finished open heart surgery. So well, I'm going to get myself up and I'm going to go out and do a walk for five kilometres. Like even just little things like that, like they're the things. And as you said yourself, like at the beginning, I said no to everything. I used to say no, like at the beginning, I said yes to everything. And then as I was feeling myself and not understanding why I was depressed, I said no to everything. So I was missing out on opportunities. But then also I was thinking to myself, hang on, I was being harder on myself saying I shouldn't say no to this and I shouldn't say no to that. But then I didn't realize that I actually needed to take time away for me and I needed to actually reprogram my mind until I was actually okay with it. Rather than just like Dean said, you put on a face like and I said there was a couple of times I went into the training ground and I was present there but I wasn't there like I mm. went to watch a game of football and everyone's asked me if you're okay and I'm just like yeah fine because I don't want to sit and I feel as though I'm a burden on someone else's shoulders and I like I always had that guilt on me thinking I'm I'm putting my problems on somebody else and I'd rather be the person who sits and listens. I don't want to be the person who's talking and I don't want to be the one who's always oh, not feeling too great today. And all like that's the person I felt as though I was becoming. And I thought I was wrong for that. Whereas until I as and until I spoke out and until I started speaking and realizing actually no, I'm okay because 
those thoughts can turn into me start like not wanting to leave and not wanting to express myself and then all of a sudden like you say you can drive it to drink you can drive it to any sort of places that even if me telling one of the lads that I feel comfortable with in training and it was only until those moments when I had a panic attack I'm on the phone to one of the lads only lives around the corner from me and I tell him straight away it's okay if you can come around I don't feel great and I'm sitting on this bed when he walks in and I'm shaking I'm curled in a ball on my bed and it was the first time he's probably ever seen me cry, but I had to burst into tears. But then that was the first time I felt as though he's seen me for me now. He's not just seen mm. me as the band lad from football and whatever. Like that's brought me and him closer because I was able to actually open up to him. And then he was able to sit and tell me about times he went through depression because he had a gambling problem. So then he's able to relate in, cer in certain things. And like Dean said, until you open up, it was the same when I was having having a panic attack. I spoke to a mate back home in Ireland and he's been my mate for my whole life. And it was only until I had a panic attack, I sat and spoke with him on the phone about it. And he was like, oh, did it feel this way? And did you, does it feel like you're going to have a heart attack? Does it feel this way and all that? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I, I used to get them all the time. He said, but it does pass. So then that's a friend I've had my whole life that I never knew had these things. But then because I'm able to sit and tell him my problem, he sits and tells me and I can sit and relate to someone I've known my whole life. And then that makes me start feeling a bit more normal. So like it, it is, I know it's easier said than done sometimes saying all you have to do is talk. But Dean was right saying having that neutral person that doesn't judge you, doesn't know your friends and family. You don't know their friends and family. You're just speaking to them on the basis of what you think and what you feel. And then they give you comments back to make you open-minded and think more openly about things that you're able to sit there and go, oh yeah, I understand it now. So then that worry kind of drifts away and then whatever next worry comes in, speak about it and say, this is the way I think of it. They give you comments of saying, well, it might be just this. And then you go, oh yeah, I never thought of it like that. And then it kind of just starts defusing you slowly but surely. And don't get me wrong, I still get times where like I sit and curl up in a ball and I think, oh my God, like if I was to wake up in the morning, imagine this was to stop or imagine something else happened to me. But then I speak with the counsellor and, and she says, but when you start feeling like that, start having to think, why? What happened to you that day? What did you do yesterday for your body to feel that way? Or what, what was going through your mind? Did you watch the lads play 90 minutes and you got really anxious about it? And then that anxiety has carried on in, into today. Like there's all different processes to think about and now. Whereas before, I used to just think, why is this happening to me? Oh, my God, it's the valve. This, this is the end. Like, call an ambulance. Whereas now, I'm, I'm able to kind of, hopefully, like, still, I still, like I say, I still go through certain patches where it, it, I don't think so clearly like that. But I'm getting better at it. And like I say, it's not the finished article. Once you get help, once doesn't mean, right, that's me done with that. I'm great now. I'm perfect. It's just something that you have to just keep chipping away at till, like you say, without even realising it, you feel yourself better. You feel your day is getting better. You still you see people reacting differently to you. They see people saying, oh, look at you. There's a, there's a smile on your face today. Or you seem a bit happier. And then that's without me even realising that. But then when you get told that off people, like when I first went back to the club after the operation, I was only two, three weeks out of the hospital. And everyone said, oh, it's great to see you. But it wasn't only until three, four months later, they turned around and go, you look like a new man. Do you know what? When we first seen you, we didn't want to tell you, but you looked like you were drained. You were pale as, as could be. You lost so much weight. But now you're looking like the, the person that left here before. You're looking great. And then that gives you a little boost in yourself to go, what I am doing is working. This is great. 
but then it still doesn't, like I say, it's still not the finished article where sometimes I have that bit more time on my hand without the distraction of football to go, right, if I'm sitting here, I'm watching TV, right, my head's giving me a bit of pain. Now, nine times out of ten, you think to yourself, all, I, all you have to do is drink a bit of water if you feel a bit like dizzy in the head. But to me, I'm straight away thinking, what is this? Is this connected to this? Oh, my God, what's happening to me? And then they're the things that I'm slowly learning and they're the things I'm slowly getting better at. And like I say, in time, they will get better. And I'm just going along with the process, which seems to be helping me now. And like I say, if I can be that process with someone else, just by speaking and being honest, then that, that could be the new folks and new corpus for everything. Absolutely superb, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for, for, for this. And as a reiterate, I really do feel that this will, um, this will be the start. You know, we're, we're all here as well. Um, at any given, any given time, I'll reiterate that again, mate. Um, and, uh, we'll d- definitely be worth a, 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 a connection, Dean, with Andrea as well, obviously experiencing, um, the, the, well, Andrea would have played in a game. We worked that out. That's a that's a question, a football question I've got for you, Mark. In that Brighton game, we was having the conversation before. It was at the Amex. 2-1, two, two Dean, was it? 2-1 to Brighton, yeah. That's about your Gus Poirier tactics um, of, of getting every man up on the uh, at the last free kick. Well, do, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? I'm not sure, Mark, I remember that. Do you remember that detail when you scored late on to make it? I don't know if it was yourself make it 2-2 it was, it was, no it was uh, Jeff Hendricks scored did he I don't know well we all stepped up late on <laughs> yeah I think I actually remember that yeah yeah it was it was, off, it was given offside to make it 2-2 <laughs> but it wasn't yeah. offside yeah that was that was but yeah. what, what why Lou was mentioning that there was um, we done an interview and a player I used to play with um, Andrea Orlandi uh, who played yeah. in that game Spanish Spanish kid and um He's uh, doing really, really well now, but he retired from the game because of the heart condition as well. Um, yeah. So like, I'll speak to him. It'd be great for you two to connect and just just have a chat. Like he's had to go yeah. through different experiences. I'm not sure. I don't think he's actually had had to have an operation. I just think he had to he had to stop. Um, but I'm not sure. But it'd be great for you two to speak if you're yeah. willing to. But Perfect. I'll speak to Andrea. Um, great guy. Listen, yeah. listen to um, listen to the podcast. We did a podcast with him. I think that one's yeah. been released, hasn't it, Liam? First one, I think. Yeah, yeah so um, I'll share his number w- with yourself, and I'm sure he'll drop you a text, mate. But he's a great guy. Listen to the podcast. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, will do. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks, thanks for joining, Mark. Mate. Yeah, no, thank you. Loved every minute of it. Like I said, loved it. And as you say, it's 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 just about these opportunities that say yes to things and to meet new people and to speak about things you can sit and relate and like I say I can sit and when Dean mentions the stuff about football and mentions it's about like not feeling great and hiding it for so long I could have I could have hid it for so much longer because to an extent I'm still in that football bubble now which is kind of helping mm-hmm. me slowly get out of it but because I've had something else to distract me as in my heart stuff I'm kind of like stuck in the middle but I know the retirement has has been like a massive impact on my life and that's something that I underestimated so much because I thought I came to terms with it for so many years saying, you know what, it's inevitable, it's going to happen at some stage, it's going to happen in one year, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to happen. And I always thought I was prepared for it, but I don't think you're ever prepared for it. I think you're just wanting to expect to be Superman and wanted to be for the rest of your life and it's just not possible. And I just think, like Dean was saying, if you're like if 
I look and think maybe I could have been a bit more prepared, but I just don't think anything can prepare you because if you do dedicate your life to it and you sacrifice so much for it, then there's, there's no preparing for the worst case scenario when it not happened. It's just the, the avenues of actually helping people with that method of when you do come out of it right, there are different options. And that's only what I'm, like I say, that's the only thing that I'm starting to learn now than nine months ago, I'm sitting there thinking, right, I'm done for. I've got nothing else to do now. I've got no more purpose. I've got nothing nothing left going for me. Whereas now it's like speaking with yourself, speaking with other people, you start seeing there's a much bigger world out there and you can still be connected in football, but you can be at a much better capacity and help so much more people because how football and the way the world is working now, there's so many more places and for people to speak out and do all these different kind of aspects of football that were unheard of when obviously I had to retire because like I say playing in league two you get a head injury or you feel worried about something it's right strap yourself up you're going back on there's none of this <laughs> hang on we'll wrap you in cotton wool business league two was not about that and I had Nigel Clough as a manager who's one of the most old school people ever as well <laughs> like I, I had a knee problem and I got told right well you're not going to train Monday to Friday but you'll play Saturday and to me, I was like, yeah, fine, fair enough. And people are like, now be careful, all the older lads. And I was like, I'm playing, I don't care, this is great. But then it's only as you start going on in your career, now you start seeing, and now in this day and age, there are so many more different avenues for people to go down. And if I can be part of that kind of new step to help people in that different aspect, it's that new purpose, like I say, that I've kind of been looking for that, that could be there. It almost, it almost makes all the other, all the, all the pain, suffering, understanding. It almost makes it all, in a very strange way, worthwhile when you start having them moments like you've mentioned. It's like I can accept going through that, knowing that I've experienced it to be able to get to this point and help someone else off the back of it, and hopefully that that just keeps that lit, mate, for you and reignites that um that that purpose for you mate and i have every every confidence from what you've just said in that short period of time we've spoke so very very best of luck um we will remain in contact uh 100 perfect Um, and uh and always here mate always here thanks very much mark lovely thanks very much cheers cheers thanks very much see you pal all the best Hi all, it's Liam here from the Life Outside of Sport podcast. Just jumping on to thank today's guest, Mark O'Brien. Thanks to my co-hosts, Dean Hammond and Lewis Harrington, and a special thanks to you for taking the time to listen today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. If there are any topics or subjects discussed today or any previous episodes, and you'd like to reach out, please visit lifeoutsideofsport.co.uk where you'll find all of our contact details and our social media links. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.